Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. What do we do at the end of every year? We hope, we fear, and we make wild guesses. We are predicting what's ahead for pop culture in 2024, but first we'll look back at what we thought was coming on the pop culture front in 2023 and see how things turned out. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. It's predictions time once again on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining us today are our Pop Culture Happy Hour co-hosts, Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Hey, Linda. And Glenn Weldon. Hello, Glenn. Hey, Linda. What better way to bookend the year on either side than with failure? (laughs) (laughs) The sweet smell of failure. Oh, boy. (laughs) It's true. Well, we've been doing this for many years. If you've been with us for a while, you know the drill. We go around the table. We check on how we did making predictions for 2023. And even though they're usually wrong, we boldly make new ones for 2024. We prove we're bad at this, and then we do it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Accurate. Without further ado, Stephen, I want to hear first what your 2023 prediction was. So let's start there. We'll go back in time. Best picture, everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm. I am going to say Bills over any team but the Vikings okay. in the Super Bowl. Rihanna will release an album in the first quarter of 2023. It's going to, sure, it's going to happen. I'm going to predict it. But then I got to the Grammys, and I wanted to say, finally, Beyonce wins album of the year. Beyonce wins record of the year. These things have never happened before. This is going to be the year that the Grammys get it right. Mm -hmm. These are things I want to happen. But I am instead going to predict two things about the Grammys that are, I think, going to be major pop culture stories in 2023. One, I think Adele will win album, song, and record of the year. And that that will speed a reckoning about the Grammys that will be a story all year long. Everybody feels like this is Beyonce's year, right? Like, Renaissance is at or near the top of most publications' albums of the year lists. That record had just enormous pop cultural penetration. It was a big hit. People loved it. It is a perfect time for that album to win Album of the Year at the Grammys. And I think the fact that it may not, I'm going to predict that it doesn't, I'm going to predict that that prompts a kind of Golden Globes-style backlash and reckoning around the Grammy Awards in 2023. Mark it down, it won't happen. (sighs) Were you right? Did it not happen? (laughs) How did you feel like it went? Okay, everything, everywhere, all at once, one best picture. Uh Let's just leave it at that. I'm amazing at this. (laughs) Did the Bills win the Super Bowl? They did not. Uh, The Kansas City Chiefs did. Did Rihanna put out an album in the first quarter of 2023 or in any quarter of 2023? She did not. Did Adele win any of those major Grammys? She did not. Beyonce didn't either. So I'm going to give myself, I don't know, 25% credit there. Harry Styles won album of the year. The big mistake I made was centered on the assumption that anyone gives a crap about the Grammy Awards like 10 to 11 months out of the year. (laughs) The idea of a major uh, reckoning around the Grammys certainly seems possible at some point. But basically, Harry Styles won Album of the Year. People were like him, and then they forgot all about them. 
I did the math here and I gave myself 1.25 out of four, uh, which as everyone knows is a passing grade. Yeah, but you went up to bat so many times. You made so many guesses. You made so many predictions. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we, I think most of us stuck to one, maybe two. So you should give yourself some points for that. It's bold. Yes, you're very bold. (laughs) What are your predictions for this year? So I'm going to say that Oppenheimer wins Best Picture, basically goes wire to wire. I'm going to say that Taylor Swift's Midnight's wins Album of the Year because the Grammys love Taylor Swift and never change. Mm -hmm. I am going to say that the 49ers win the Super Bowl over the Ravens because they seem like the only two good teams in the NFL. I'm going to say that Rihanna does not put out an album in 2024 because if I'm going to be wrong, I might as well get a new Rihanna album out of it. And I am going to say... I've noticed a trend that I think will continue and accelerate in 2024, and that is the rise of ever shorter hit songs. I think the TikTokification of the pop charts and the rise of artists like Pink Pantheris, who really specialize in short-form songwriting, I think the line between song and fragment is going to get blurrier and blurrier in 2024 to the point where the metric I'm looking at is that two of the five biggest songs of 2024, as defined by Billboard magazine, I'm going to say that two of the five biggest songs of 2024 will be shorter than two minutes long. Whoa. Okay. That is bold again. I thought you were going to go with three, but two. Wow. That's three, I think, is a slam dunk. Hmm. But I'm going to say that that number just keeps shrinking because of the rise of TikTok. Having a compelling fragment is more important than ever because Spotify algorithms, you know, you put out an album with 20 tracks, that's better economically than putting out an album with 10 tracks. I think you're going to see pop songs getting measurably shorter and that that will be borne out in the metrics. Well, all right. Okay. Aisha Harris, let's look back on your predictions for 2023. I do think Beyonce is going to win Album of the Year Uh just because the Grammys voters love a throwback. They love something that seems to be playing into nostalgia and Even just like the fact that Beyonce on that album is calling back to so many other previous Grammy winners, as well as, you know, a deeper house music history. It's her year. And I don't think the Grammys are going to screw this up. We'll see. That's my prediction. My other prediction, I have a feeling that Warner Brothers Discovery is probably going to be sold to Amazon or some other corporate giant, or it'll at least be announced before 2023 is over that that's going to happen. Because if you just look at all these shakeups and all these execs that have been leaving and all of the many titles that they've (laughs) decided to yeet out of their existence. (laughs) That's part of their trying to get themselves back into the black. I understand that. And that's a temporary thing, but they're going to have to figure out something else to sort of stop the bleeding. And now I I can imagine that Amazon is probably going to own Discovery, Warner Discovery, before this is all up. Okay. Neither one of you saw Harry coming. <laughs> Neither one of you saw the styles. No, Harry, Harry came out of nowhere. So I won't belabor that. I was very clearly 
absolutely wrong about this. Uh, Beyonce did not win album of the year. Nor record, uh, nor song. Nor, yeah. <laughs> she won some Grammys, but she, not the ones that people really care about. As for Amazon, uh, this didn't quite pan out. Uh, they did not buy Warner Discovery, um, though David Zaslav has continued to ruin the brand yeah. <laughs> between renaming HBO Max just Max and mm-hmm. scrapping yeah. release plans for already completed or nearly completed projects, including that Wiley e. Coyote movie, which <laughs> Warner is now apparently trying to sell to other companies. Yeah. But I was kind of in the ballpark here because recently Axios broke big news, which is that Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery are apparently in talks for a merger. That's true. So, you know, I kind of give myself a little bit of credit. It it hasn't happened yet. And we don't know, um, you know, as of this taping, we don't know what is going to happen with that, if anything. But I was kind of right, right? Aisha, your prediction was not that this would be complete sure. by the end of 2023. <laughs> your your prediction was that something would be announced yes. by the end of 2023. And you said Amazon or some other big company. Mm-hmm. True. To me, mm-hmm. like, this is late breaking. Yes. But, like, if the Grammys suddenly were like, oh, sorry, we did a recount. <laughs> Actually, Beyonce was our big winner. Yes. <laughs> that would be in keeping with what's happened mm-hmm. here. Yeah. yeah. I think I give you full credit for this yeah. one. I think this was incredibly prescient, and I'm extremely happy for you. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm happy for me or us. No, I'm not happy generally. <laughs> we are this close to a Warner Discovery, Paramount, Hulu, Disney, Peacock, Amazon, Apple Plus streaming service. And uh, what do we do then? It's going to cost $100 a month. <laughs> They're rebuilding cable. Uh, basically. Yes, yes. So I guess, you know what? I mostly got it. So there. <laughs> All right, Aisha, what do you have on tap for 2024? So for my 2024 prediction, I'm going to be a little nervy here and actually put a number on this. I'm going to predict that for the first time since 2007, 2020 accepted because 2020 was the year basically nothing made sense, no movie is going to cross the $1 billion mark worldwide. Wow. That is bold. I've I've noticed, you know, obviously we have this continued downward turn of the superhero genre and we don't really have too many promising things coming on the horizon in the next year. We have the Joker movie, which I guess could be an exception because the first movie did make over a billion dollars. And you also have the Lady Gaga factor of it all with that movie. So maybe this could throw a wrench in my prediction. But, you know, when I look at what happened this year, the only movies that topped 2023 with uh, $1 billion were Barbie and Super mm-hmm. Mario Brothers. Yeah. They weren't really expected necessarily to make that much money. And I think that, you know, we have all these other big franchise movies coming. Beetlejuice 2, okay? Mm-hmm. Furiosa, Mad Max Saga, Inside mm-hmm. Out 2, yet another Transformers movie, yet another Planet of the Apes, a Twister reboot. Yeah. Yes, that is coming, apparently. Oh, didn't even know that. Uh, Deadpool and Mufasa, which is the Barry Jenkins sort of uh, pre I guess, to The Lion King. I don't know. I don't see any of these necessarily being able to crack that billion dollar mark, considering how hard it is just to get people's butts in the seats still in this like post pandemic era. And, you know, we don't have the Marvel anymore. Marvel is not the dominant force. And for most of the last 15-ish years, a lot of the billion-dollar movies have been hinging on the Marvel universe. So that's my guess. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I do think that it's very possible that no movie will cross over into the $1 billion mark worldwide. Yeah. And Star Wars has kind of migrated to TV. Yes, that Mm -hmm. too. So 
We don't have like a giant Star Wars movie coming out either. I like it. It's bold. It's tactile. It's concrete. It's mm-hmm. pointable at. I like it. That's what I was going for. I really like this one too because I it's it is bold, but you've also made a really strong case for it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yep, I like it too. Glenn, oh. it's time to hear what you predicted for 2023. Uh, the year 2023 will be the 50th anniversary of the film The Last of Sheila. This was a whodunit directed by Herbert Ross, starring maybe the most quintessentially 1973 cast imaginable. I remember. I remember. Raquel Welch, Diane Cannon, James Coburn, Richard Benjamin. James Mason. Uh, It's about a wealthy guy who invites his wealthy friends aboard his yacht in the Mediterranean to play a murder mystery game that turns, pause for suspense, very real. Uh, So for years, this movie has had a cult following. I'm in that cult. Ryan Johnson counts himself among this fandom, this cult. And that is one reason you saw so many echoes of this movie in Glass Onion and to a lesser extent, Knives Out. I think it's most notable, however, for the two dudes who wrote the screenplay, the actor Anthony Perkins and one Mr. Stephen Sondheim. My prediction is that this film is finally going to attain a kind of cultural currency, a cachet that it has always sorely lacked. It will enter the zeitgeist. It will go mainstream. We always run into trouble when we try to quantify these predictions. There is some squishiness here, but I mean, will a remake be announced? A streaming series? A board game? A theme park ride. <laughs> Funko Pops. I'm not sure exactly, but I just feel that Glass Onion has primed the world to embrace this very fun and very weird movie in a way that it was not possible to embrace it before. Yeah, well, none of that <laughs> happens. What is this movie called again? The Last of Sheila. Yeah, I'm sorry, Glenn. Yeah, what is this movie again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah see, right. Aww. See, here's the thing. It absolutely worked, and I'll tell you why. When you made this your prediction, I knew of this movie, but I had not watched it. Now I have watched it. Uh Well, see, I appreciate that. I did try to keep it as squishy as possible. I invoked cultural cachet. Uh, (laughs) But that's the risk of going bold, right? Going niche, going specific. When a specific thing that you predict does not happen, it feels like its absence is just deafening. I think (laughs) it's easy to say I did not get my Richard Benjamin Funko Pop. But look, we need a metric. And – If you twist my arm, I can find one with the help of our producer, Jessica Reedy, Google Trends, right? We can go to Google Trends because it started in 2004 and the DVD for this movie was released in 2004. And sure enough, there's a spike there. Now, this is Google Trends measures the numbers of times people search for the, I think, unique string of words, the last of Sheila. I think the best you can say is there's been a general uptick. The number of searches there have been in 2023, did spike three times, but those spikes are generally smaller than the one that happened around their premiere of Glass Onion, which again owes a great deal to Last of Sheila. So there was no flashpoint, really. There was no, like, currency. There was no zeitgeistiness. But there has been, as you speak to, Linda, there has been a general increase in awareness of this film. And if I contribute to that in any teeny tiny way, then I've done the Lord's work. You did, Glenn. You don't know. Those spikes could have been because of you. Mm. Yeah, I like the idea of a lot of spikes that are like the last of Sheila, Glenn Weldon. The last of Sheila pop culture happy hour. The last of Sheila NPR. All right. I definitely give you partial credit for this. Yes. 100%. It's no Funko Pop, but I'll take it. (laughs) All right, bud. So what are you predicting for 2024? In the year 2024, a novel will be released by a name publisher of literary fiction. 
from a first-time novelist, and it will receive critical praise and maybe win a literary award or two, or get nominated at least, and it will later be revealed to have been written by AI, okay? Oh. It's been a long time since we had a literary hoax. That's my prediction. Now, there's a lot of obstacles here to have this happen because, you know, if it comes from a major publishing house, well, a lot of media companies, NPR included, have, you know, written up these AI ethics guidelines, but they're guidelines, right? And I think a publishing company will want to drive a discourse, which granted will be tiresome. Um, it will be <laughs> awful. You know, you'll have some critics backtracking on their positive reviews and saying, I knew it all along. Maybe it won't be a novel. Maybe it'll be like a debut short story in The New Yorker. Mm. But we're due for this, right? I mean, it's got to happen yeah. eventually. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but it's inevitable. Not to throw cold water on this. I think a number of unlikely things would have to come together. One thing that's that's popped up, like Sports Illustrated got into a huge scandal over the use of AI, yeah. quote unquote, writers. And the biggest problem they they had and what people kind of found out was they created these simulated people. Like people were able to immediately suss it out. You would have to basically have like an Elena Ferrante style, like this is done by an artist working under a pseudonym. Yeah. yeah. And then that pseudonym would have to turn out to be AI. And I don't know if AI is there yet. There's such an uncanny valley with so much AI writing. Well, yeah, that's certainly true. Because, I mean, when everybody started talking about it this year, I started reading some of this stuff. And it's like, oh, you people have never taught seventh grade English. Right. Because this <laughs> is a try-hard seventh grader right. who thinks that writing is about conveying information and not – proposing and supporting, you know, or advancing a thesis. I, I understand it's not there now. I just think it's going to happen. I don't know why. I like this idea, but I feel like it'll probably be a movie or a TV show premise mm. first. Mm. That's a good point. Before it actually becomes a thing. I think this is like a great prediction for like 2026. I think you're a little early. Okay. But you're right that it's coming. I think the exact scenario that you outline will come along at some point. Mm -hmm. All right. We are going to look back now at my predictions for 2023. One sort of general prediction is that I do think you're going to see more and more of the retreat from the public eye that you've seen from a certain number of athletes and actors and people who say, like, I need to go take care of my mental health. So I think in a general sense, zeitgeisty sense, you're going to see more discussion of what I personally think is a very positive development of people being willing to say, I cannot do everything all the time. I cannot do all the press and maybe some continuing conversations around that. My more concrete prediction is I think the biggest entertainment story of the year is going to be labor unrest in the entertainment industry. There is a looming writer strike. <laughs> I think that the kind of stuff Aisha and I've been talking about in terms of HBO and the pulling of stuff off of HBO and HBO Max is related to a fundamental reckoning with how to pay and compensate people fairly. I think you could potentially see a long strike for at least one of these guilds. I have heard that you're starting to see the stockpiling of you know people trying to get stuff done, at least written in time to avoid long, long droughts of content. But I think that's going to be the story of this year is going to be the very difficult business of how do you 
figure out how to make it economically workable for people to create the kind of content that people are excited to see and willing to pay for. Yeah, just winner, winner, seven course chicken dinner. <laughs> yeah, Good God. boy, Holmesy. I give myself a swish on the <laughs> yeah. labor unrest, yeah. I gotta Man. say. Man. The other thing, I feel like that's still happening. I don't know that I can think of any recent like examples that were as high profile as some of the ones that were going on at the time. Sure. That was a reaction partly to like Simone Biles and some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think in a way your latter correct prediction undermined your less accurate prediction in that so many people didn't have to go through the publicity grind because they weren't allowed to promote stuff. Also, I don't think you anticipated that in 2023, the only celebrity we were allowed to pay attention to was Taylor Swift. Yes, accurate. (laughs) I will say I think conversations about mental health continue to expand in a way that I think is very healthy. I think it's easier than it used to be for people to talk about their mental health struggles and, you know, whether it's talking about therapy or medication or whatever. So I think there's some truth to that. But really, I want to focus on (laughs) the strikes, man. All right. My predictions for 2024. I have two. Jesse Armstrong, who created Succession, will announce a new series. I just think Hmm. with Succession over and everybody having loved it so much, It's just hard for me to believe that that guy is not going to get right back to work. And I could be wrong. He could be writing a feature or something like that. I haven't actually, like, researched what exactly he's doing, so I'm kind of pulling this out of the air. But I think that he's a very hot property. I think he can probably get just about anything greenlit. So that's one. The other one is somebody is going to win, by which I mean either get a big verdict or get a big settlement, in a reality show lawsuit, which comes from two kind of developments. One is lawsuits like there's one about the Squid Game game show that I hate, (laughs) about the conditions that that was done under and how they were treated. The other is this kind of agitation from, originally from Bethany Frankel, who was one of the original Real Housewives of New York City, about unionizing Reality show participants. Now, reality show participants on both the performing and the production side have had struggles to be included in labor organizations that are otherwise involved in the making of television. There was a whole thing about whether the people who write something like America's Next Top Model should be part of the WGA. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I think the part of it where somebody wins something or gets somebody to acknowledge that something went wrong, I think that's coming. And I think that is going to be part of the development of this issue. So somebody is going to get some money in a big reality show lawsuit. That is Mm -hmm. my second prediction. I love that. I like them both. Yeah, I wonder how much the ability to do that is tied up in how those contracts are written. Right. If you're essentially signing away all your rights in perpetuity throughout the universe, how possible is it going to be to get a settlement if something goes haywire? But some kind of reckoning, especially since they're still making shows like that Squid Game show where the conditions are deplorable, it does feel like something's coming. I think we're going somewhere, and I will leave it at that. Well, Mm -hmm. we would love to know what your pop culture predictions are for the new year. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. 
Next up, what's making us happy this week? This message comes from NPR sponsor Be My Guest with Ina Garten, a podcast from Food Network. Intimate and captivating conversations with new and old friends. Jennifer Garner, Frank Bruni, Emily Mortimer, and more. Listen to Be My Guest wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the official Hacks podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the official Hacks podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. Hey, it's Linda Holmes. 2023 has been quite a year for pop culture. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Fast Car, Succession, Cocaine Bear. And we have loved talking about all of it here on the show. We're excited about everything we'll dig into in 2024, hopefully with your support. This is where we want to say a big thank you to our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus supporters and anyone listening who already donates to public media. And to anyone out there who isn't a supporter yet, right now is the time to get behind the NPR network, especially with our journalists gearing up for an important election year. Supporting public media now takes just a few minutes and makes a real difference in what's possible moving forward. Join NPR Plus or make a tax-deductible donation now at donate.npr.org happy. And thanks. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What's making us happy this week? Glenn Weldon, what's making you happy this week? Five Second Films is exactly what it sounds like. It's a group of folks who make these incredibly distilled, often very funny movies that are five seconds long. They've been at this since 2008. <laughs> it's giving quippy vibes here. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. It's it. They're jokes, right? It's an exercise in narrative essentialism. You just get just enough to establish the premise, the game, and then you get the ending. Now, not everyone works. But their motto is wasting your time, but not very much. <laughs> you just gobble these things up like popcorn. Sometimes you go back to marvel at how much was conveyed using so little of everything. You know, <laughs> it's obviously that a lot of work goes into them, but that is all conceptual work to kind of slice away everything that is unnecessary just to get that hit in five seconds. They're on TikTok, they're on the Grams, they're on Twitter, they're on YouTube. That is five second films. That's the number five second films. Love it. Can't wait to look it up doing that immediately after we get off this call. <laughs> All right, Aisha Harris, what is making you happy this week? Well, have you heard of a little show called 30 Rock? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm in the middle of a rewatch. I've been on a puzzling binge. And when I do puzzles, uh, like actual physical puzzles in my living room, I like to put on stuff that I don't have to think too hard about. Mm -hmm. And 30 Rock has been one of those shows that I've just been re-binging, re-watching. And right now I'm in the middle of season three. Of course, you know, the show, parts of it have not held up 
quite well. But when this show was firing at all cylinders, I keep getting reminded of just how classic all of the songs are and how that was really that show's bread and butter, whether it's Werewolf Bar Mitzvah, Muffin Top, the Mystic Pizza song, the scene where they're all performing Midnight Train to Georgia, like... This show is just, it makes me so happy. So I'm enjoying rewatching 30 Rock and just getting to live with these characters yet again. You know, it's still funny for the most part. It's great. Thank you very much, Aisha Harris. Steve and Thompson, what is making you happy this week? Well, in 2024, NBC is going to be airing the Summer Olympics, which are going to be held in Paris. And to prepare us for the Paris Olympics, NBC has been airing commercials that use a song from 1977 by Plastic Bertrand called Saplan pour moi. I'm the king of the divan. Saplan pour moi. So Saplan Pour Moi by Plastic Bertrand may be the first cool song I ever knew. <laughs> it came out when I was five or six years old. My uh, cool Uncle Paul got into it. My mother got into it. My parents spoke a little French and were trying to pick apart the lyrics and couldn't make sense of it. Uh, it's not like this is some completely lost song. But hearing a song that so strongly connects to my childhood has been really delightful. And then going down the rabbit hole of the very weird history of this song, every element of this song can be disputed or has been disputed. The fact that it is plugging the French Olympics when it is by a Belgian artist, who is this song actually by? It's billed to Plastic Bertrand, but there was like a whole legal dispute because it's actually written and sung by a guy named Lou Deprique who died this year. Plastic Bertrand has sort of been taking credit for this song for decades in kind of this weird Millie Vanilli story. It came out in the late 70s amid the rise of punk and new wave, but it's kind of a pastiche of those things that doesn't necessarily fit into any of those worlds. This song doesn't fit into anything neatly except a commercial for the 2024 Olympics on NBC. It delights me. I love the song. The song has not aged at all. It is just as inscrutable and weird and unbelievably catchy as it ever was. It is truly delightful. That is Saplan pour moi by Plastic Bertrand with an asterisk next to Plastic Bertrand. Yeah, and because it is hard to spell, we are going to link to the song in the newsletter so that you can find it and listen to it for yourself. You can sign up for our newsletter as always at npr.org slash pop culture newsletter. All right. So making me happy this week, a story ran in Slate called The Virus Inside Your TV by Isaac Butler. And this tells the story of a project that was done by a group that called themselves the Gala Committee. And what they did was smuggle political art into the set dressing and otherwise the appearance of Melrose Place in the 90s. These included things like a set of sheets on the bed of one of the show's many sexually active men that was decorated with unrolled condoms. And once you see it, you cannot unsee it. They are clearly unrolled condoms. They did this initially by having a contact with the set designer. But then eventually it became kind of 
the higher ups on the show kind of knew about it and would tell them what was coming up on the show so that they could prepare things. Somebody gives each other a box of cigars. And if you look at it, you can see that it's a cigar box where all of the sides of it have hinges, which means it can't open, which was meant to represent the Cuban embargo. (laughs) And it is a completely fascinating piece. I highly recommend it. Again, it's called The Virus Inside Your TV. It is a stunner. So that is what is making me happy this week. And that brings us to the end of our show. Stephen Thompson, Aisha Harris, Glenn Weldon, thank you so much for being here, you guys. Thank Thank you, you, buddy. Thank you. This episode was produced by Mike Katzeff and Ramel Wood and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all next week for our annual resolutions episode. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Spark Cash Plus. Terms and conditions apply. If you're a business owner, you know these sounds mean sales. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. Whether you're fulfilling orders from your home office or warehouse, Stamps.com helps you stress less about mailing and shipping and spend more time doing what you love most. Listening to ASMR. I mean, growing your business. But as you grow, so does the need for efficiency. Stamps.com simplifies your shipping and mailing process. Import orders from wherever you sell online. Find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times. Instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers. And buy shipping and mailing supplies when you run low. Save time and money on mailing and shipping. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. This message is brought to you by Wondery. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura protects residents from global catastrophes, but a dark secret threatens Pura's very existence. Binge all episodes of The Last City ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.